This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Johnny Holiday, the voice of the Maryland Terrapins, is our guest here on episode 22 of Play by Play Cast. Welcome back inside, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. Thank you, as always, for clicking subscribe or download and joining us here on a Friday morning. Podcast today comes to you from downtown St. Louis, Missouri. Ball State men's basketball on the road to start the 2016-17 season. They're taking on SLU tomorrow night at Chaffetz Arena. So uh, to all of you starting your college basketball seasons, uh, best of luck. Enjoy it uh, wherever you may be. Uh, this is a fun time of year if you're a broadcaster. This is what we all love to do is call games, and right now there's an abundance of games. Uh, it's crossover season. You've got basketball. You've got football. Uh, if you do some other stuff, you've got volleyball or any other Olympic sports that are going on right now. This is the crazier, one of two really crazy crossover seasons, um, particularly if you're in college athletics. So uh, enjoy it, and um, best of luck trying to sleep while getting in all of your prep for (laughs) the myriad of games coming your way. Uh, As always, if you'd like to reach out to the podcast, we say this off the top of every episode, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at PXPCast. Uh, You can also hit me up on Twitter at Joel Godet. Uh, Or, again, more people are are shooting me emails. Uh, Feel free to do that as well. Always great to hear from you. Know that you listen. Uh, If you do listen and you enjoy it, go ahead and give us a rating, uh, a review, whatnot. Uh, You can be honest. If you hate the show, tell me. Uh, It'd be great. not going to hold back. Uh, If you enjoy the show, uh, tell a friend, too, by the way. Help grow our uh, our play-by-play cast community. If you get something out of the podcast, if you enjoy it, uh, tell somebody else who's a broadcaster, hey, I listened to this thing. Uh, it might be good. Uh, I'd certainly appreciate it. The podcast uh, would certainly appreciate it. Um, yeah, so if you do, thank you in advance, uh, sincerely, uh, because uh, I enjoy doing this, and, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, on to today's guest, Johnny Holiday. He is... Uh, an interesting dude, and, and a fantastic guy, by the way. If you've never met Johnny Holiday, uh, one of the most genuine people that I think I've come across in this broadcasting industry. Um, I interviewed him two weeks ago when Maryland was playing at Indiana in football, and the Terrapins stayed at a hotel in downtown Indianapolis, so... I hopped downtown, I live on the north side, so I hopped downtown, and uh, I had been communicating with Johnny and said, you know, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'd like to do, Um, if I could have a half hour of your time just to pick your brain, Uh, hopefully learn a thing or two, and, you know, have you as a guest on the podcast, and that turned into, you know, dinner that night, and being able to pick his brain, Uh, he was more than gracious and more than generous, Uh, and it was really an awesome experience just to uh, be around him and, and, and... see what he does and, and learn uh, for that weekend. So I cannot be more thankful uh, for Johnny Holiday for taking time out, uh, not just to do, the, to do this podcast, um, but to, 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 to be a teacher, even if he didn't uh, realize that's what he was doing at the time. 
So uh, my much appreciation. Uh, Johnny is a guy that has uh, a tremendous history. And it's not just in play-by-play broadcasting, which is one of the things that I think makes him really interesting. Uh, Johnny has been a music DJ uh, and was quite famous for that in and of itself. Uh, Was in New York in his 20s as a music DJ. Um, Has acted, has done theater, um, obviously has done play-by-play for the Terrapins uh, for more than 30 years. Uh, 1979 is when he got the the Maryland job. But he, he has so many different... Uh, interests and, and and jobs that he's had, and it all contributes to the blend that is Johnny Holiday. And one of the things I think is interesting about people in general, but also people in this industry, is when they are really, really super well-rounded. Um, when they do a lot of different things, especially when they're not sports-related. Uh, and that's one of the things that that intrigues me a lot about Johnny Holiday, and we touch on that here in the podcast as well. That being said, let's dive right in. Uh, without further ado, my conversation with the voice of the Maryland Terrapins. Since 1979, he's broadcast over 1,200 games for the Terps. Johnny Holiday joins us on Play by Playcast. I tell you, Joel, it was when I was I was a disc jockey, and when I was in Cleveland. I kind of got my start in Cleveland. Thanks. Um, I did a. I was at a party one night with a guy that sponsored the scoreboard show after the college game of the week on television. So he said to me, "Have you seen my show?" I said, "Yeah, I've seen your show." He says, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, the only thing that kind of doesn't bother me, but it doesn't seem to match up. The guy who's hosting the show also does the kitty show on the station." So I got a, a small problem with that. And he says, yeah, we've had a lot of complaints about that. Do you think you could do any better? I said, absolutely. But I had no idea that I could. So he said, okay, come to the studio. Go in there and audition for me. Okay. There was no game. Just make up games. Make up scores. Make up highlights. So I did. And the next thing you know, I'm doing this, this college scoreboard on the ABC affiliate in, in Cleveland. And then... Um, I mean, I played football, baseball, and basketball in high school, so I knew something about each sport. And then the Cleveland Browns public address guy had a heart attack in the offseason, passed away. So I called Art Modell, and I said, hey, if you need a PA guy, I'd like to put my hat in the ring. And I got right through to him, and the guy picks up the phone. I said, Mr. Modell, I said, my name is Johnny Holiday. I know who you are. I listen to you every afternoon. So you got your foot in the door right there. So I ended up as his public address announcer the last two years I was in Cleveland. When I went to New York, I didn't do any sports at all, strictly music and a show, a couple of TV shows. Uh, Then when I went to San Francisco, uh, I did the Raiders public address announcing, the Warriors public address announcing. I did Stanford football. I did Cal basketball. And I knew eventually if the time ever came, I could give it up, give up music and just concentrate and sports, and I think the telling, the telling moment was, I, I did a game with Wes Unsell, who just retired from the Bullets, and the check I got was more than I was making, playing records six mornings a week, on WWDC, and I said, let me examine this picture now. <laughs> I think maybe I should think about possibly going that route, you know, and that's that had to be 1977, around or something, 78, yeah. What did you 
what did you want to do? What kind of what did you want to be? Um, and how did how did you make those decisions? Obviously, when the, the paycheck part comes into it, yeah. certainly. But, but I, like it too. I, I think people so many times now will say, I, hey, I want to do play-by-play. What's the right way to do it? And right. some people will say, I'm going to go to a city and I'm going to cut my teeth and hopefully you're in the right place at the right time. Other people will say, hey, go to Pocatello and, and do play-by-play and do that kind of thing. Um, or you can do other things. You can be varied um, and you can take different approaches to it and wind up in a certain spot. Right. Um, what was your approach to where you wanted to be uh, or did you have an approach to where you wanted to be? Was it one of those things where you just took what was in front of you and let the chips fall where they met? You know, the first job I had was in Perry, Georgia, making $32 a week. And I convinced the radio station owner to let me do the high school basketball games. And we're a daytime station. So I would go to the, and sit in the stands with a tape recorder, a Wallen sack tape recorder, do the game. We would play it back the next day because we're off the air at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I sold it. I think I sold, like, if you wanted to buy a spot, it was $10. I mean, so cheap. It had to be so bad. But I did it. And then I didn't think any, anything about that until I got to, uh, I didn't do any more play-by-play till I got to California. And I got a call, and they said, they didn't ask me if I... If, if I've done play-by-play, they said, you've done. And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. And hadn't. I didn't do any play So the, I did the Cal basketball games on television. And my analyst was Rick Barry. Not bad. Okay. Then I did Stanford football. I hadn't done a college football game. Uh, first one I did, I think, was Stanford-Cal, big game. You know, I mean, you, so you talk about being in the right place at the right time with no experience. And I tell guys, if you want to do this, uh, if I did it, there's no reason why you can't do it. Simple as that. Timing has to be there. A lot of luck has to be there. And somebody has to open that door for you. And then you take advantage of it. And another example is I got a call about doing the ACC baseball championships. And the guy says, hey, Johnny, you've done baseball. I said, absolutely. So the first game I did was Clemson, North Carolina State in the semifinals of the ACC baseball tournament. The analyst was Terry Gannon, who's done pretty well for himself, and Larry Conley, who played at Kentucky. The second game I did was the championship game the next night. The third baseball game was the Orioles at Cleveland. So I never did a minor league game. I, st- I did college, and then I did pros. So, I mean, it can be done. I'm a perfect example. It can be done. How did those early games go for you? Because um, I feel like a lot of people that we've spoken to for this, at least at some point in their career, and it's, I mean, it's even happened for me at a much smaller level, where somebody will call and say, you can do this. And even if the answer is no, the answer is always yes. Um, Never say no. How how did those early games go for you when you're thinking, I know I can, but I haven't. Let's hope this goes well. What was the approach there? I I think I was probably, I had to be nervous. I mean, I had to be nervous. And I think I over-prepared for everything, which I don't do now. Well, I do a little bit of over, just in case. But I think I had to be nervous and scared to death that I was going to mess it up. Uh, Obviously, I didn't mess it up. And then 
a perfect example of having confidence in what you do is when I got to the Olympics and I was with ABC Sports for 29 years. So I did morning drive sports on the ABC networks. My first Olympics was Sarajevo. I did every winter and summer for ABC Radio until they lost the rights in, I think, 94, 96. And I see on the assignment sheet, Johnny Holiday and Carol Heist Jenkins are doing women's figure skating. I was born in Miami. I didn't skate a lot. So I go to, I go to my boss and I said, hey, Shelby, uh, you know, I don't know a thing about women's figure skating. He says, yeah, but you can do it. I said, yeah. He said, well, get, get, get the hell out of here. So the next thing, you know, I'm sitting down with Caroline Jenkins, and she's giving me all the terminology. She's showing me video. And so I did women's figure skating. Had never done it before. About five nights later, I see I'm assigned a hockey game. I go back to my boss. I said, it's me again. Uh, look, I didn't see a lot of hockey games in Miami. <laughs> okay. So I, you can do it, though. Yeah. Okay, you're going to be working with Lou Nanny was general manager of the North Stars. So I sit down and I said, Lou, i got to be honest with you. I've been to about two hockey games in my life. It's Czechoslovakia, Romania. <laughs> I said, what are you going to do about the names? He said, it doesn't matter unless they have relatives in the States. It doesn't. We'll just get close to them. And that's how it went, you know. So, and another one, gymnastics. Like, same thing. Same television in Washington. Uh, we've got this, uh, we got it away from ESPN. It's the United States Independent Amateur Gymnastics Competition for girls, ages 8 through 21 in Haines City, Florida. We'd like to send you, you've done gymnastics, haven't you? Absolutely. You're talking to Mr. Vault or whatever. So I go and sit down with a Maryland gymnastics coach. He points out this, 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 this. So I got all the stuff with me. And the two analysts are both co coaches, one at Stanford, one at Oklahoma. I know that they know. I don't know a darn thing about gymnastics. But, but I got through it, and I set them up, basically. And I figure, okay, I went down. I was there for four days. I played golf three days. I did the show. They'll never call me back again. The next year, the phone rings. Can we speak to Mr. Gymnastics, please? I said, you got to be kidding me. Hold on. Eight straight years I went down <laughs> and did that. So the one thing I learned is just you never say no. You say yes, then worry about it later on. Boxing. I did every Sugar Ray Leonard championship boxing match on ABC Radio. I had never done boxing before. My dad was a boxer. But all I knew was a left to the midsection, a right to the jaw, end of the stomach, and a clench, and a brain. I had no idea. But I did it. And when you listen to it played back, I'm saying, yeah, that wasn't bad. I mean, it sounded like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> What's the confidence like in those spots? Because like you, you just said, you knew the analysts knew that you didn't know. Yeah. But well, what's I, the approach I, well, for you? Because I'm sure you're thinking, I don't want to step in it. But at the same time, I've got to make it seem like I know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the girl, the woman, was more suspicious than the guy was. The guy was okay. But I think she looked at me like, I don't think you really know this. But I had enough terminology in front of me, and I knew exactly what I was looking for, and I would basically lead them. And they're the experts. And I found out that a long time ago, that I'm only the setup guy. 
And like for the football games, I call the down, the distance, who carries you, who makes the tackle. The other guys analyze everything. That set them up. So I think if you've got two good people with you or one good person, they can make you look good. And you can make them look good by the questions. And in baseball, I got Ray Knight, manager of the Reds, MVP of the World Series. All and people say, man, we love your show. You guys are dino. All I do is set him up. He's the expert. And I try to ask things that I think the average guy wants to know. Because all I said, you know, I kid around with a guy. I said, hey, all I do is pitch high school baseball and have the record for most hit batters in the on-deck circle. What have you done? So you think you're a big MVP of the World Series, huh? And it, I bust him all the time. But you can do that if you got a good partner. You know? I want to go back to the beginning, but I want to relate it to where we're at here um, with the DJing. Yeah. There's a video of you on YouTube talking about your career in DJing, and it's got clips of you doing and talking about kind of the linguistic gymnastics that you did on air. Oh, yeah. um, as far as... Bender, bumper, jumper, chrome, cracker time, every teen queen's dream, elbow deep in the ballad bowl, other stardom we chart them. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> how <laughs> does... something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, how does that now inform what you do today? Uh, does it? Uh, did it as far as a sports medium? I don't know if it just helps you talk. It helps you uh, paint pictures better. Is there a relatability between those two things? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the thing I learned in radio when I was a disc jockey was timing. Timing and pacing and energy. Uh, and I learned, I mean, I knew it when I was really younger, in my 20s, that I didn't want to play records all my life. I mean, it was nice. The recognition was terrific, you know this jockey of this and this jockey of that and but you're not making any money number one and I knew eventually that I was going to ditch this thing it was nice when I did it but it also gave me a foundation I think for sports that you knew how to pace yourself you knew how to react to what the game is doing down there instead of being a lot of guys the play-by-play guys start way up here and they got nowhere to go because you're right up there and you try to take peaks and valleys, like you probably do, and that I've always done, that every handoff in a football game at a two-yard gain is not the biggest play of the game. But a lot of guys, and he hits the, he picks up two yards, and well, you're going to go after that, <laughs> you know. So I think I think the disc jockey work really did help me. And when I was in it, everybody had a shtick, and mine was to come up with just different ways to say things. Uh, instead of a quarter after five, it's, uh, you know, 15 minutes in the corner pocket uh, on our platter pool, uh, something, whatever. Just make up something different that would be catchy. I don't do it in, in football or basketball or baseball. No way can you do it now. But I did it, and I think it worked. Vocally, too, I have to imagine it helped in that regard. And oh, yeah. all the other stuff you do when it yeah. comes to theater and... Uh, I, there's, a, there's a modicum of training there, even if you're not thinking about it. I would have to imagine that translates well. And I know you've said that voice is not the most important thing when it comes to certainly play-by-play. Right. But along the way, that, have, that had to have gotten refined just by doing other things and being diversified. Well, go back. There's a, there's a website called Real Radio. Real Radio, R-E-E-L, realradio.com. They have air checks of me and every other top 40 disc jockey in America backlogged in this website. They got air checks of me in 1960, 
and in 1985. Listen to the difference in 25 years. I mean, it's, it's incredible because you sound like, my daughter says to me, you sound like you were 12 years old. I said, well, I was, I was 18 when I started. <laughs> yeah, I was. Wasn't that far off. Yeah. Wasn't that far off. But a, a perfect example, you mentioned about voice and so forth, that I've never had any training, uh, just didn't believe in it. And I said, this is what you're going to get, okay? But when I was David Brinkley's announcer on ABC television, they called me down to the studio one day, and the producer says, I want you to read this. And I took a look at the copy, and I said, hey, you got the wrong guy. I do Maryland football and basketball. This probably is not going to match up with Sunday morning at ABC television with David Brinkley, then with Sam and Koki. And he said, just read it. I said, okay, from ABC. And he said, no, 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 just bring it down. I said, bring it down? Yeah, just bring it down. All right, from ABC. No, it waits. It's too much. He said, I want you to, I want you to whisper. I said, whisper? He said, yeah, I saw you in a show called Same Time Next Year, where there's a quiet moment in the second act. You have lost your son in the war. I want that mood. I went, wow. So you actually saw that show? Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm looking for. So he had me from ABC, very low key. He said, we'll do the rest in the control room. Which I thought was a great lesson for me. And he said, I know you did the hullabaloo on NBC. I know you did Roger Miller. And that's bang, bang stuff. But I know you can do this. And we're looking to make a change in announcer. So I did it for the last seven years, I guess, they were on television. What did change um, from 64 to 84 vocally for you, though? Um, the, what, where was the growth from sounding 12 to, to where you're at now? I, I think the growth was me wanting to do more than just be a bang-bang disc jockey. And I realized if you're just going to be a shouter and a screamer, you're not going to get commercials. You're not going to be able to get speaking engagements narrations, uh, which I always wanted to do. I wanted to branch out into that thing. But if you're, if all you can do is just scream and shout, automobiles for sale, uh, the banks aren't going to come after you. And the hospitals aren't going to come after you. So I learned to tone things down. And when I took over the morning show in Washington in 1969, I came to D.C. And I did it for 10 years. And then I moved to WMAL on Strictly Sports. It was very low-key. It was, it was fun, but it wasn't over the top. And I think that was when I really found my niche. And I was still doing games as well. I mean, that's totally different than, you know, playing records and stuff. But I think I learned early that if you're going to be successful in the commercial end of it, you got to slow down. you got to be able to have di- different inflection and different uh, interpretation of what you're reading. And a great story, Joel, was when I was in New York, uh, I was a hotshot disc jockey at 25, number one market, 2 o'clock to 6, drive time in New York City, millions of people. I'd been there about a month, and my boss comes in, and he says to me, I can't begin to tell you how great it is to have you here, and I hope you feel the same way. And I said, Mr. Chaseman, this is, this is I can't describe how thrilling this is to be with you in New York and on this station this is wonderful. He said, that, well, you're going to have a wonderful career, believe me. Oh, by the way, I was uh, down the hallway, and I heard you do the Mr. Softy commercial. You know, we're in no hurry. 
I said, yeah, yes, sir. You did that 60-second spot in probably 35, 35 seconds. You know, I know in Cleveland, the most important thing was get rid of the commercials, get to the music, or get to giving away $5,000. Here, you're a salesman. They have bought Johnny Holiday to sell their product. I said, oh. So if you want to go a minute 10, minute 15, no problem. Take your time, embellish it, make people want to go out and buy Mr. Softy ice cream. And I never, ever forgot that. And I have lunch with Joel Chaseman back in D.C. maybe once every couple of months. He's retired. And, uh, and I say to him, you know, you're the guy responsible for me being in the commercial end of things, for PBS that I do and the other things. And it's all he, he said, I don't recall that guy. I said, I'm telling you. Believe me, I recall it like yesterday. And he's the guy that made me adjust the approach that I had. This might seem like a silly question just in the scheme of the part of it of how much of what we do it is. But it's important with that being said, too. Does that still all apply today when you do an in-game live read? Uh, and and no. needing to needing to think, all right, I, not that I have to sell the product, but at least you've got to give it its due. Right. You've got to get it in between plays, but it's not something it's just to throw away. It's harder. Believe me, it's harder because we have a lot of drop-ins. You may have the same thing at Ball State. We have a lot of drop-ins, and I don't have a lot of time to spend. And it's, it's, it's pacing and delivery rather than selling. And I tell them, I said, you know, if you write this thing shorter, but that's... You're always going to do that. I mean, I was in the studio this morning with a, a 30-second spot that ran 44 seconds. So I called the guy, and the agency, I said, I can do it in 30 seconds, and you can't understand a word I'm saying. Or I can edit some things. Go ahead and take out what you want. I said, then I got it in 30 seconds. But the copywriters don't do it the way I do it. I said, if you want to sell something, you got to write it shorter. And in football games, it is there is a tendency in basketball to get them get them in, out of the way and continue with the game. Yeah, I've, I've had some people where they say, you know, like, I know you got to get it in quick, but at least at least give it its due. They're, they're paying their money, so don't run through it and, and yeah, give it its time. Exactly. So it's interesting yeah. on that note. Yeah. Um, voicing aside, uh, if you take that out of the equation, you said sometimes it's the least important thing. Um, what are the most important things to you when you put that headset on um, as far as painting the, the right picture? I think uh, believability acceptability and you're painting a picture and I think of a when I'm doing a game I think of a blind friend I had in Washington who never saw was blind since birth and he would call me and say man that was a great game I loved I loved that that call that play and I said Ed you, you, you haven't seen the game he says no but you he said, I, I could visualize in my head that run for the touchdown when he was cutting back at the numbers and going to midfield and juking a man. What does juke mean? <laughs> I said, uh, well, he kind of faked it. Oh, that's what I thought of. You know, and so that's, that was my inspiration, that I'm broadcasting for people that are visualizing what I'm talking about. So I try to paint the best picture that I can. I don't get too fancy. I don't get too cliche-ish. And I try to do it maybe the old-fashioned way. And the guy that I most like 
when I was starting off in this business, a guy named Frank Lieber, who did the Dallas Cowboys, and he did CBS. And I spotted for him in Cleveland. He would come to town, he'd call me up and say, I got 20 bucks for you, kid. You want to come spot? Yes, sir, Mr. Gleber. So I'd go down, and he had the southern accent, Joel. And he'd be talking about, okay, what, what I want you to do now, well, you just point out over here, and you just point out over here who's going to make the tackle. And the guy'd say, okay, you got uh, 20 seconds, Mr. Gleber. All right, that's fine. So you understand, Johnny, what I want you to do, you just point out, okay, five, four, and you go, hello, everybody, Frank Gleber from Cleveland. And the accent went away, <laughs> totally went away. And the guy was so good, he wasn't over the top. And I kind of put away in the back of my mind, if I ever get a chance to do this, I'd like to do it like Frank Lieber, a, a guy a lot of people never heard of. Describe your mindset for me when you describe plays also, because I, a lot of people talk about thinking of the blind analogy uh, and painting the picture for somebody that literally can't see it. Um, how much do you say, all right, nuts and bolts, we've got to get yards down, distance, is it left, is it right, all of that type of stuff, and then how much do you also paint in, how frequently and how much, just in general, do you get to uniform color, Uh, where are the cheerleaders, how packed are the sidelines, what's the crowd look like, how do you get that all in to really give that all-encompassing so it's not just X's and O's going up and down? Yeah, I I do the colors at the very beginning of the game. You know, Maryland's in their red uniforms today, white pants, and uh, Indiana's wearing purple with green or whatever. It is get that out of the way. And I never really have a particular time to throw in about a crowd. If the crowd is really into it, then I'll say, as you can tell, the Indiana crowd is going nuts after that. You know, or if they're not into it, then you point that out. With Maryland leading 35 nothing, things are quiet here at Memorial Stadium in lovely Bloomington, Indiana. So, and the one thing I try to do, I I used to try to get in uh, trips, formation to the right side, and list all the guys. But with this offense, we I haven't got time to do that. There's no huddle. These guys are bang, bang, bang. So I have enough time to say slot, slot right, slot left, uh, trio of backs, uh, double stack on the right side, double stack on the left. And once in a while, you can pick up who it is. But a lot of times you can't unless the team comes out in a definite rhythm like Indiana. It's not going to have a hurry-up offense, I don't think. And then you can say who's behind the quarterback, who's flanked to the right side, who's in the slot, double tight end, whatever. And then you give the names and so forth. Preparation-wise, uh, what's your what's your game plan and how has that changed? Because uh, I have to imagine that over the years you, you've gone through a lot of different uh, kind of renditions. Uh, what do you do now to get yourself to a point where you feel comfortable picking up the headset? Uh, the charts are done by a guy in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's called Tony Britt's Spotters Charts. He does a lot of guys around the country. You got to look into to see what he does. And on on Wednesday, he sends the charts to the FedEx, and they print them for me. On one side is Maryland's offense. The other side is the other team offense. He's got stats in there. He's got the color combination numbers. He's got the, the height, uh, the weight, uh, the year of each player. And all I have to do is I like to add little notes of my own in there. That Perry Hills has now had six 100-yard games or whatever that he doesn't add in it. But he gives you the last game stats and the season stats. Then on one side, so I, but I used to do all that myself. 
copies to print. I used to spend hours writing, you know, numbers and heights and weights and stuff. Now it's done for me. All I have to worry about is adding the, the particulars in there. But I think I think it has changed. It's uh, I think it's helped me a lot and a lot of guys in the NFL use him and colleges use him. It's it's just one less thing we have to worry about and we can concentrate more on individual players and write little notes down. How do you handle getting it in too? Because people always say just because you've done the prep doesn't you don't have to shoehorn it. Um, and there are times and I, I got this criticism from somebody a couple of weeks ago where Did you call him and talk to him? Well, we were trading emails back and forth. Well, it was a, I had sent a tape, um, but I guess it could come from a fan too, um, where my analyst will say something, and I'll have something that I know or that's on my chart somewhere that's a good cap to it, but it's not necessary. Most, not, you know, Does it add something? Maybe. Um, but you can probably get by without it, and instead maybe let the broadcast breathe a little bit or just give it that second pause or throw in a, a piece of description instead uh, how do you balance when and how much you get in some of those kind of side facts that can help paint the picture but you don't want to force feed information I, I write on a yellow pad I've got two pages of notes one side of the page is Maryland one side is Indiana I will probably only refer to that thing maybe one quarter of the game maybe but I've got them there in case I need them. And I basically play off what's going on in the field and what they say. I mean, if they're, if Tim is concentrating on what Perry Hills is doing and I've got something about Perry Hills he doesn't throw in there, I might tag him and say, you know, you're, you're right, Tim. He was 25 of 36 last week, and this is a struggle today. It's only 9 of 49 or whatever. But I, but I think you got to listen to what they say. And we have a very interesting group that works with me. Um, we have a stat guy as a headset and a microphone. We have the, uh, the statistician, headset and a microphone. They talk throughout the game, and only I can hear them. And Tim and Scott can hear them, and the engineer can hear them. So instead of the stat guy writing down stuff or holding up fingers... He's right on top of it. Hills is 12 of 28. And I'll say, Hills is 12 of 28. So I, that's something, I don't know how many guys in the country use that kind of a method. You ought to consider it sometime. Yeah. That you can, do you have a stat guy? I do. Okay, and a spotter too? They're the same guy, but yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and, and sometimes the stat guy will pick up something the spotter doesn't and vice versa. We've been doing that about five years. It really helps. Yeah. Really helps. And we, we have them at home. We don't get them for every road game. Um, and, guys, they, and then you notice. They travel with me. Yeah. They travel with me. We got, we got two analysts, spotter, statistician, engineer. So I should have done the math while you were rattling that off. How big is your crew that you, you bring around? Is that six or seven probably? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six guys. It's yeah. not a bad group. Yeah. And they've all been together. Uh, this is my 38th year. It's Brett Purcell's 32nd as my stat guy. Steve Rear's 21st as the spotter. And Strachan's 22nd as the analyst. And Scott McBrien's fourth year as the analyst. And Marquito, our engineer, has been with me at ABC for 30 years. 
which makes life a heck of a lot easier. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. a lot easier. Yeah, no question. Well, Johnny, we've we've hit a half an hour, um, and I've taken a lot is of your time. Well, I mean, we can keep going. I just don't want to. I don't want to take your whole night. No, 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 um, no problem. I'll ask you. I'll ask you one more thing. We'll go on yeah. this note. Uh, Self critique for you. Um, how much listening back of yourself do you do, and and what do you listen for in yourself? Um, what do you hear that you like? What do you hear that even still to this day bugs you, and you go, I got to work on that next week, and and those things that that uh, that are always top of mind for you. I, I think, even though you've been doing it a lot of years, Don Fisher, Indiana, 44 years. Um, had we stayed in the ACC, I'd be the longest-running guy now. With Bob Harris at Duke retiring, I think he had one or two years more than me. In the Big Ten, I'm the fourth. There's three guys ahead of me, been longer than I am. But the thing, I, I, I say to myself, I'm never too old or never too experienced not to learn something. And so I listen to playback of certain games. If something bothers me, I want to go back and listen to it. And I want to make sure I'm not relying on crutches and saying the same thing the same way at the same time. And if I hear something, I'm going to say, I got to eliminate that. I got to stop. That's just something that I've fallen into that I shouldn't have fallen into. And... I think you can always learn. You can always pick up something that you're doing that you can improve in. Or, you know, basketball is a lot easier because it's quicker and less guys. And and how many times uh, you might be redundant in saying something. And I mean, I tell my analyst, I tell Scott McBrien, you know, you can say more, Scott, because he's never done this before. You can say more. You don't have to hold back at all. There's no clamps on you. And, you know, Tim, you can say less, okay? Yo, you can say less. You don't have to. You, you can bring it in because you have a tendency to go on and on and on and on. What's the, uh, what's the most recent thing you've learned? What's the one thing that, that comes to mind quickly? The one thing, Joel, I think I've learned of how lucky I am to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, I know it may sound like a, you know, cliche and uh, whatever, but it's the greatest job in the world to be sitting there and doing football, then you go to basketball, then you go to baseball. I mean, how many guys would love to do what you and I are doing and get paid for it and not be behind a desk or something that you dread going to work to every day? And for somebody like me from where I came from, which I didn't have much growing up as a kid, uh, I just thank the man upstairs all the time for giving me whatever he's given me to fool these people for all these years, you know. And I must be fooling somebody and to still be doing it. And my wife says to me, you know, you're 79 years old now. I said, yep. Well, it wasn't Vince Scully, 88, when he retired. And he did the games by himself. Yeah, and I got I got guys with me, you know. So I mean, it, I tell people it's beat it beats working, it beats working, and I would encourage any young person, guy or gal, that wants to get in this business, if you can, get into. It's a great business, as you know, dealing with people and coaches and athletes, and maybe helping 
the guys you deal with in the football team with their interview skills and things like that. And that's something that I really enjoy. A guy will come to me and say, I'm a communications major, but I'm afraid to talk. I said, that's not good. We're going to have to speak up. Yeah, if you, that seems like problem one. Yeah, yeah if you want to com- communicate, you have to be able to talk. You know, But I think you're, you're basically, at least I hope I'm teaching, and I hope that people enjoy what I've done, and I'll continue to do it. Johnny, this has been a treat. Uh, thank you for taking some time and, and sitting down with me. Thank you, Joe. And I must tell you that Pete Limbo is a guy that we love at Maryland. I mean, it, uh, he's one of a kind, and we are so fortunate uh, to have him in College Park with us. And thanks for your time. So much good stuff there with Johnny Holiday. Uh, I, I don't know really where to re- begin recapping it, but uh, I will say uh, thank you again uh, to him for joining us here on the podcast uh, this week, and uh, if you have a chance to listen to uh, some Maryland football or Maryland basketball, uh, certainly coming up, uh, go ahead and give it a try. Uh, go ahead and give it a listen if you've never heard Johnny. It's just so genuine, uh, and I guess that's where I'll leave things. And, and it shines in his play-by-play. Uh, when Maryland won the 2002 National Championship in men's basketball, the final call was the kids have done it. Uh, and I, I tried to track it down on the interwebs, and I just had difficulty finding it. Otherwise, I would have included it here on the podcast. Um, But the final call was the kids have done it. And to hear Johnny describe the moment, we talked about whether or not he knew kind of what he was going to say-ish if they won that game against Indiana. And, uh, you know, he said no, it just kind of flowed. And and when he said the kids have done it, it was because, like, he's looking at them. And and obviously in 2002, he's, you know, 40 some odd years older than than the Maryland basketball players so he's got that perspective and he's just saying the kids have done it he's looking at him and, and just genuinely thinking they did it the kids have done it uh, and talked about the, the the tenor in his voice just about the the overall enthusiasm and excitement at the fact that the kids had done it they'd won the national championship it wasn't a radio call it was just an expression of hey the kids did it Uh, which I think was really cool. So uh, he's just a good guy, and it shined through and shone through in uh, in who who he is on the radio. So, again, many thanks to Johnny Holiday for joining us on the podcast this week. They are playing the go-home music, and i got to get down to film. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to take a time out, and we'll see you next week right back here on Play by Playcast. Uh, Best of luck to the beginning of college basketball season this week, everybody. We'll talk to you next Friday. Yeah.